presented by Pavestone and Home Advisor. Now, here are Tom and Leslie. Coast to coast and floorboards to shingles, this is the Money Pit Home Improvement Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. And we are here for you to help you make your home its best self ever. If you've got a question about a project you'd like to do, a project you're thinking about doing, a project you're in the middle of, or one that just has been totally frustrating to you, now is your chance to get some help. Call us right now at 1-888-MONEYPIT-888-666-3974. We won't judge. We will not make fun of you. Well, maybe a little bit, but we'll definitely help you get your job done. So call us at 888 Money Pit. Coming up on today's show, here is a summer headache that's popping its ugly head right now and it's sticking doors. You know, once all that humidity sits in, it is the time of year when doors swell and get stuck in their openings. But there is an easy fix, and we're going to tell you how to make sure that door works year round, regardless of the weather, in just a bit. And before you can add the new, you have to get rid of the old. And that can often be the costly part of any home renovation. We're going to share some tips to help lighten the load and cut those demolition costs. And we also have the how-to on a fun gardening project, and that is how to build a raised landscaping wall that is very useful for creating a little bit of a border or a ring around a tree or a border around your house or a raised garden wall to dress up the front of your house. We'll walk you through that project. It's as easy as stacking blocks. But first, let's talk about how we can help you make your home your absolute happy place this summer with a fix-up, a decor project, whatever you are working on. We know you're going to be spending more time at home, so let us help you make it the best place to be. Post your questions at MoneyPit.com or call us right now at 1-888-MONEYPIT. We've got Catherine in Delaware on the line who's got a question about a fire pit. How can we help you today? Well, I'd love to have a homemade fire pit in my backyard. I don't want to buy a metal one. They'll only get rusty, right? Yeah, they do, but they last a heck of a long time. You know, I did not want to put a built-in fire pit in my backyard because I, I didn't want to have to, uh, you know, deal with it in the off-seasons. It would be hard to shovel around and, and that sort of stuff when the snow hits. So I actually personally have been using a metal fire pit for many years, and, you know, I find that they last, gosh, five to eight years before they start to show any wear and tear. So I'm not afraid to use a metal fire pit, but I can tell you that if you want to do a brick fire pit or or a paver brick fire pit, there's lots of options right out there. Um, one company that makes a kit for it is Rumblestone. It's the Pavestone company. And these Rumblestone pavers, they'll sell you basically all the all the bricks that you need. The Rumblestone are sort of like a rough, a rough, beautiful colored stone that you assemble into a circle pattern. And then the way they design it, there's a metal like sort of liner that drops right into the stone, and that's where you build your fire. So you can do it yourself, uh, but you could also purchase a, a fire pit. Depends on you know what look you are going for and how long you want it to last. Well, good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at one eight 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 Money Pit. Thank you. I will. Bye bye. All right. Now I've got Steve from Massachusetts on the line. What's going on at your Money Pit? Hi, Leslie, and hi, Tom. I was calling because I needed a little advice on um, baseboard heating covers. Okay. And I didn't know if I was getting in over my head with uh, trying to remove the whole, uh, in, in, you know, the, the whole cover, or whether I'd be better off just doing a replacement cover. Well, you, you want to change the design or the color or something? What's uh, why? Why do you want to update this, Steve? Well, What's going on? Some of these are uh, falling apart. They're uh, original to the house, and I'm trying to you know make it a little bit of a cleaner look. 
I think it's probably okay for you to remove these and, and, and restore them. I'm, I'm not that crazy about telling you to just take them all apart and go with something else, because frankly, it's difficult to get new covers in and have them work as well as probably the old covers do. So if you could take those apart and repair them, and they everything but the back piece will come off. So the top will come off, the louver part will come off, the front panel will come off. You should be looking at just the hot water pipe with the fins attached and a metal back plate when you're done. And okay. if you take that all apart, you have the opportunity now to repair anything that needs to be repaired. There's not that much that goes wrong with it, so you can probably figure this out. And then you could do a light sanding. You could pick a, a, a nice spray paint, a good color, and go ahead and paint them up and then put them back together. And I think that's going to be the least expensive thing for you to do that will give you a good, clean look uh, and get everything working the way it should. Sometimes when you go with those covers, they obstruct so much of the heat that you end up having to run the heat longer just to get the same amount of heat out of it, and that runs your heating bill cost up because you're using uh, more fuel. Yeah, so, which I want to avoid doing. Yeah. So I'd stick with what you got and just fix it up. It's not okay, a hard project to do. Yeah, that sounds like an easy DIY, uh, do-it-yourself uh, project, DIY. Yep, yep Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks so much for your calling me back, and I uh, appreciate your help and, and guidance. Thank you're you. You're welcome, Steve. Good luck with the project. Send us pictures when you're done, okay? All right. We will. Thanks so much. Have a good day. Did you know that Americans take 20,000 breaths a day and spend an average of 90% of their time indoors? That's right. And according to the EPA, the level of indoor air pollutants can be two to five times higher than outdoor air and occasionally more than 100 times higher. Plus, every spring, we get sucked with allergens, too. Well, Air Doctor is an air purifier that filters out dangerous contaminants like pollen, pet dander, dust mites, and mold. Their Ultra HEPA filter has been independently tested to remove 99.99% of tested allergens, including bacteria and viruses. That's impressive. Now, Air Doctor also comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus the shipping. And they're offering a special discount to Money Pit listeners. Just head to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code MONEYPIT, and you'll receive up to $300 off air purifiers. Exclusive to podcast customers, you'll also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. Lock this special offer in right now by going to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code MONEYPIT. That's airdoctorpro.com, promo code MONEYPIT. Everyone should know that drinking water is important to staying hydrated and healthy. Having safe, clean water is the last thing you want to worry about, but unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants right in its tap water. That's why we are thrilled to be working with AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers use a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process, and their countertop purifiers work with no installation or plumbing. It removes 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and is specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAs in your water supply. And they have water purifiers to fit every type of home, from installation-free countertop purifiers to higher-capacity under-sink options. They even have a Wi-Fi-connected purifier and mineral boost options. 
and its proprietary purification technology is independently tested by IATMO to NSF and ANSI standards to remove over 80 of the most harmful contaminants, including chlorine, fluoride, arsenic, PFAs known as forever chemicals, nitrate, and many more. I can truly taste the difference when I compare it with my old water filter. AquaTrue saves you money also. Just one set of filters from their classic purifier makes the equivalent of 4,500 bottles of water. That's less than three cents a bottle. Plus, you'll save the environment from tons of plastic waste. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and even makes a great gift. And today, Money Pit listeners can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. Just go to aquatrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter code MONEYPIT at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue water purifier when you go to aquatrue.com and use promo code M-O-N-E-Y-P-I-T. MONEYPIT. Robin in Missouri is looking to relax, but that's not happening with mold in the jacuzzi. What's going on? We have this large uh, bathtub jacuzzi, and it has a marble uh, stairs and trim around it. And it's a beautiful jacuzzi, but I noticed that the pipes, there was like, I don't know if it's like mold coming out of it or what. It When we got the house, it set for a while, and um, and then we filled it up and put palm olive dishwashing liquid in it, you know, and tried to clean it out and so on. And I bet you got very sudsy when you did that. That's what they said to do. And anyway, we also got it um, glazed or painted, you know, as they usually say, and uh-huh. it kind of faded off, and we had the fixtures painted too, and we thought the people that were doing it were really reputable, but now um, the fixtures, you know, where the jets are, the rings around the jets and so right. on. The paint's kind of fading. And, um, All right. So it sounds to me like we're talking about two issues here. Number one, you have some sort of growth that's been inside the, the, the internal plumbing system of this jetted tub. And secondly, the finish has faded and you had it restored some time ago and the finish is starting to fade and chip and, and so on. So let's t- tackle the second one first. It's very, very hard to refinish a, a plumbing fixture. I can tell you that right now. Uh, there is a way to do it. It's extremely caustic. I don't even know if you could do it to, uh, a jetted tub, which is usually a, a fiberglass type material, it's hard, very hard to do when it's a you know cast iron the tubs and, and sinks that folks love to restore. This is a very very caustic process, and then the the products that they sell that you can sort of paint over them, you know, don't have uh, nearly the life expectancy that you would hope for. In terms of whatever may be going on in the internal plumbing system, you know, what I have uh, often advised over the years is to use a bleach solution. So if you were to fill that tub up. And, you know, run, uh, if you've got a big tub and you run a half gallon or a gallon of bleach through that, through those jets, you know, that's going to help to sanitize anything that's growing in there. So with my tub, I'd probably fill it up with hot water, throw in some bleach, and let the thing run for a while. I wouldn't put anything sudsy in there because, you know, if you, there's a reason that dishwasher detergent, for example, doesn't suds up. It's designed not to do that. But if you put dishwasher, if you put dish soap in there, it's going to suds up like crazy. But I think all you really need is hot water uh, and some bleach to sanitize it. And that might do a pretty good job of cleaning it. And I know that the uh, the jetted tub industry have other special products that they sell for the very same reason. But I think it's important to do that because you don't want anything growing in the internal plumbing and then, you know, 
potentially making uh, someone reactive, having an allergic reaction or making them sick or something. So I would definitely want to clean that out. So I know that's not the answer you want to hear about the painted surface, but it is certainly uh, the way to sanitize uh, the, the internal plumbing system of it. Okay. And yeah, that's why I never use that tub. I just don't use it. <laughs> yeah, you didn't have a good feeling for the right reason. So, <laughs> so yeah. why don't you give it a shot, though, and see if we can clean this thing out and let it, and, and we start to see that it's growing, you know, it's consistently, you know, shooting out some clean water. Maybe you'd be, feel better about uh, dropping into it now and again, okay? What about the, um, the jet fixtures on it and um, the tub itself? How do I get that glaze type finish off of it? Well, if you're talking about the plumbing fixtures, like the faucet, the, the spout, and that sort of thing, those you would simply have to replace. If you're talking about the body of the tub and you've already refinished it once, there's not going to be much you can do about that. It's just going to be the wear and tear of that of that uh, of that particular appliance from now on out. Okay, so I'll probably just replace it. Yeah, well, that would solve everything, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much. You're welcome. Good luck with that project. Thanks for calling us at one eight 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 money pit. Well, summer is the season for many things, and one is sticking doors. Yep. If you've had a door in your house that sticks due to summer humidity, you don't have to tolerate it anymore. Yep, that's true. First, to fix it, you need to first find out where around the door the sticking begins. So to do that, just open and close the door slowly until you spot the exact area where it's starting to stick. Now, here's a trick of the trade to help you figure that spot out. And what you do is you take a piece of chalk, colored chalk is really best, and you color the outside edge of the door. Then by opening and closing that door a couple of times, that chalk mark is going to transfer to the exact point on the jam where the sticking is starting. So there'll be no doubt which area you need to focus your attention on. Now, once you find the spot, first try the easiest fix. And that's, you know, one of the most common reasons that the door is sticking is because they have loose hinges and that gets everything out of alignment. So by tightening the hinges, the door might shift just enough to free up the area that's sticking. Now, sometimes it's also helpful to remove the standard hinge screws that are already in there. Take a drill, you know, whatever you have, use a driver, get that screw out and replace it with a longer one, which is going to go all the way into the jam itself. You'd be surprised how much that door can move once it's simply tightened up. And in fact, it might move too much. And then if it does, you just need to back out that screw until it provides just the right amount of clearance. So it's kind of like a trial and error, see what's working, what's not working. You might see that. Now, another option is to just sand the door where it's sticking. And to do that, you want to take a rough piece of sandpaper and rub it firmly along the section of the door that's been sticking. Now, your goal is to bring down the size of the door by just a fraction of an inch before you test it again. You can repeat this process until you've sanded down all of those sticking points and that door no longer sticks in the frame, but try not to overdo it. Once that door fits well, you can use progressively finer sandpaper to just smooth out those rougher edges and get everything prepped to repaint. Now, once the door fits in the frame correctly, it's time to seal it with either paint or a clear finish, because if you seal the edge that you sanded, you will reduce the chance that moisture will get in there and cause the wood to swell once again. 888-666-3974. If you've got a sticky problem like that or anything else, call us right now with your home improvement question. All right. Now we're heading to Illinois, where Joey's on the line with a flooring issue. What's going on? My house is 
built like in 1910, and the, the third floor, they there's just a lot of soft spots in the floor uh, in different spots. I didn't know what the best way to uh, fix it. I mean, it's an old floor. You can't match it up to anything today. Right. So are you seeing the floor, or is the floor covered with carpet? Do you see the actual uh, tongue and groove or whatever type of subfloor is there? Yeah, yeah, you see the tongue and groove, yeah. And underneath of it is uh, just the plaster and lads underneath the next floor. Right, so you're on top of the floor, Joyce, obviously, and then you see the ceiling below. Now, where you say it's soft, is it your sense that there's some deterioration of the wood there? Is there rot from a water leak or termites or anything of that nature? When you say soft, what do you mean? Somebody put a, a unit upstairs, and to get the uh, vents for the downstairs, the air vents, yep. they, they cut holes in the floor, and they okay. patched it back in. And they kind of uh, didn't really do it right. They just sounds like they didn't support it right. Okay, so basically, you had some wood butchers there doing the flooring work. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. Know. So they, yeah, they kind of, you know, did All that. Right. Yeah. And then there's other spots that are just like you step on them, and it's just it, it's like it's going to break or it's going to fall through. Hmm. I'm just okay. worried about my kids up there, you know. It's my 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 kids. The rooms are up there, so right. Yeah. I don't want them falling through. Okay, so where where you have spots that were, you know, if they just cut a hole in the floor to run a duck through, and they didn't support the edges, you know, you can't just have those those flooring boards sort of be free floating like that. There has to be some sort of a structural support underneath for them to rest on. And if they just cut holes and didn't sort of beef it up for that purpose, then that's a problem. Now, unfortunately, the only way to really do that at this point is to take some of that flooring apart. But what I would tell you is if you are dealing with tongue and groove, and I've had to patch a lot of old tongue and groove floors in my day, is that you want to avoid the temptation of just cutting it square. If you think about the way tongue and groove flooring goes in, the ends are overlapping, so you don't have everything sort of line up in a line, in a single sort of line. You use different size boards, and then the end of the boards sort of overlap the next row and so on. So what you essentially have to do is you'll have to physically cut one board out, and then once you get one board free, then you can disassemble the rest. And when you put the thing back together, you have to sort of figure out how to support those cut ends. So if they're around a, uh, a duct opening or something like that, you may have to kind of reach in there and beef it up with another piece of, of, of like floor beam material. Now, you probably, if let's just say it's a, it, the, the floor beams are 24 inches on center or 16 on center, yeah, you could probably use a hunk of two by six or something like that just between the floor joists up tight to the underside of the flooring itself. You wouldn't have to put like another whole beam in there, but you basically need to support those loose ends like that. And the only way to do that is to sort of disassemble it, get that fix in there, and then put it back together again. In terms of the other spaces that are loose, I need to figure out why that's happening. 
you know, there is a lot of settling that happens in a house that's over a hundred years old. So it might just be that, uh, you know, I'd say it's pretty unlikely for somebody to step through a floor unless there's some definite weakening caused by insect damage or moisture damage. Other than that, right. it might just be some shifting. And when you get to the third floor of an old house, you see a lot more movement than you see on the first floor because everything sort of is cumulative. You know what I mean? And when you get up to the top there, <laughs> there's a lot more windows and doors that are out of whack and floors that are sloping. So I don't think it's unusual what you're describing, but you have to, you may have to do some, a little bit of floor surgery here to try to figure out what's going on and why it's happening. It's one of the joys of owning an old house. Right, right. Let us know how you make out, Joey. Thanks so much for calling us at one eight 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 Money Pit. Thank you. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Give us a call right now. Let's talk about your home improvement project, your summer fix-ups. I did a summer fix-up recently. You our did? cushions on our wicker furniture for our front porch were looking mighty faded, but they were actually in good shape sort of structurally. They were still like fluffy and everything, but the, just the material had faded. So I picked up some spray paint that's designed for upholstery. It's usually used by those that do car restoration, but okay. I was able to find the perfect color it was sort of like a like a pinkish plum color, and I was able to spray paint all of the cushions, which saved me at about a thousand bucks. I would have spent on ordering new cushions for for two chairs and a couch. I've never heard of this, and it was great. Now I will say it's a, maybe a little stiffer than it was originally, but it looks fantastic, and it was very inexpensive and just a cool way to go. What a great project! Mark in Illinois is on the line with a foundation question. What's going on at your money pit? I have a 10-year-old house that, um, uh, as with a lot of houses, the um, ground around the foundation is settling, and I need to put some fill in to keep the uh, rain from, uh, or to, to drain the rain away from the house. Okay. And I was wondering if there's a... A uh, particular t- type of mixture of soil to use to do that. Uh. Yeah, it's called clean fill dirt. Basically, it's not rich like topsoil with a lot of organic material in it. It's very compactable. I always think it looks kind of like the pitcher's mound. It has that sort of medium brown color to it, and you can really pack it down well. So what you want to do is to sort of rake back some of the topsoil that's there, add the clean fill dirt, establish slope with that. And if you want to prevent moisture problems, then I would slope it about 10% or about six inches over four feet, a six inch drop over four feet. Then on top of that, you can add topsoil and replant the grass or add mulch or whatever other ground cover. But clean fill dirt is all you need, Mark. And I would be careful when buying this um from the the uh, from the gravel yard, whoever's selling it, to make sure it doesn't have glass in it. Ask about that. Make sure it's really clean because sometimes when you buy fill dirt, it has broken glass in it, and you don't want that to happen. All right. How far out from the foundation should you fill? Well, you want to have that first four to six feet be sloping away. 
and then after that, it can have a gentle slope after that. Okay. And, and just as important, since we're talking about drainage issues, is to make sure your gutters are clean and your downspouts are, are significantly extended away. A lot of times, these gutter installers like to just turn them out about two feet at the bottom. You want it to go out four to six feet. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Well, they say that one man's trash is another man's treasure. But try telling that to someone who has hundreds of pounds of junk on their hands after a home renovation project. Yeah, well, the sad fact is that before you can add to the new, you got to get rid of all the old. And that can be a pretty expensive part of any reno job. In fact, getting rid of debris for a full house project can cost upwards of about ten grand. But the good news is that there are some easy ways to save money and do the right thing for the environment by selling or donating some of that junk for reuse and responsibly recycling a lot of what's left. Yeah, first of all, carpeting. You know, it's heavy, it's unwieldy, and can be a real pain in the butt to deal with, quite frankly. But if your carpet is in good shape, no stains or worn patches, it can be donated. Now, Habitat for Humanity operates nonprofit home improvement stores called Restores, where donated home improvement goods are sold for charity. You can visit their website, Habitat.org, to find a Restore in your area. And if the donation is impossible, there might be a carpet reclamation facility near you, and that can help recycle that carpeting. Check out CarpetRecovery.org for facilities in your area. They'll provide a map of the entire nation with carpet recovery centers throughout. Now, next, let's talk about appliances. They can take up a lot of space in a dumpster, which is expensive to rent. But one person's obsolete appliance might be someone else's vintage antique. So you might be able to make some money by selling your appliances to an antique dealer or a restorer. And if the appliance is of the non-functional variety, you can also try selling it for scrap. Metal salvagers will usually pay around 10 cents a pound for appliances and will sometimes even arrange for pickup. The salvages in your area can be found online as well. Mm, And you know what? Recycling for wood, drywall, or even asphalt shingles is also an option. If you have unused tongue and groove flooring, you can try taking it to a dealer or a charity resale store like the Restore. And wood waste dealers might even be able to take your lumber scraps off of your hands. And if you're going to throw wood out, though, make sure it doesn't include woodwork containing lead paint. There's a risk for that in materials that were painted before 1978. Now, when it comes to the roof, asphalt shingles can often be recycled. Check out shinglerecycling.org. You get some more info there. And you can sometimes get rid of mixed debris for a nominal fee by taking it to a center where recyclable wood, metals, concrete, and even gypsum are sorted and sold. Now, if you can't find somebody to take the junk off your hands and recycling is not an option, make sure you understand the local rules about what can and cannot be thrown out in your regular trash. There's nothing worse than putting out a big pile of trash and not having it picked up, possibly getting a fine, and then having to move it all back to your house while you figure out another option. So know your options and you will be good to go. 888-666-3974. We're here. We're good to go to help you with your rental projects. Give us a call right now. Now we've got Marie from Ontario on the line who's got a ceiling fan question. What's going on at your money pit? Well, actually, I'm in a one 
a floor, one just a floor ranch, okay? Three bedroom okay. ranch. Yep. No basement, just a, a good concrete crawl space that's insulated. No problem down there. My furnace is down there. But I would like to know, please, um, is it financially better off to use ceiling fans and just have the fan on my my air conditioner fan on or run the air conditioner itself. Okay, I'm going to give you um, um, a different answer than that because I wouldn't I wouldn't say that the ceiling fans are, are decorative in my view and they're not necessarily an efficient way to move air through your house. But I'll tell you what is, and that's called a whole house fan. So where you have um, a fan that's basically mounted, you said you have a ranch, so it would be mounted in the ceiling probably of the hall, and it will take air from the house, and it will pull it up into the attic, and then you enlarge the vents in your attic to make sure it can exhaust that air, and whenever it gets a little bit thick outside, a little bit uncomfortable, what you do is you open a window, a couple of windows or doors at each end of the house, and you run that that whole house fan, if you run it even on a low speed, it will pull a really nice breeze through the house, and what that does is it has the effect of delaying how much your air conditioning you actually have to use. You know, I had one in a, in a house that I owned when we first got married, and it was great because we would turn it on just a low speed in the evening and go to bed, and, and by the time uh, we fell asleep, the fan went off, and the evening had gotten you know much cooler, and we were comfortable for the whole night. So I think a whole house fan, in terms of comfort, is a better option than ceiling fans. And in terms of the, uh, the air conditioner um, itself, you know, I think if you were to limit the amount of time you used it because you could trade off between the whole house and the ceiling fan, you're going to save money on your AC, too. I meant, like, my furnace fan itself, not using the AC. My furnace fan... Oh, your furnace fan? Yeah, furnace fan is definitely that definitely does not make sense to, to use. That's a very expensive way to move air through your house. So, oh, okay. Uh, yep. Yeah, same answer. A different fan, but same answer. So the best situation, the best solution would be to put the the fan in the hall. Yep, to whole suck house up the fan. Air through the house. And, and, and don't confuse this with an attic fan. I'm not talking about the little round silver duck. This is a whole house fan, and it's a it's a quite large footprint. It's usually maybe about two foot in diameter, maybe a little bit more depending on the size you buy. And it has a, a set of baffles that, that are like or louvers that lay flat. And when you turn them on, they gently open up and they pull a nice breeze through the house. It's really marvelous. Oh, wow. Well, thank you so much. I, I didn't mean to be ignorant, but you know, yeah, you do. No, no, no. Me. Oh, you, do call you, can't, you can't possibly I be. I love it. <laughs> and I do listen to you any chance I can. All right. Uh, any chance I get. <laughs> and I want to say that you, when we called you, you said, you do call people back. How about that? Yes, we do. <laughs> <laughs> and I greatly appreciate that. Thank you. So it's called a whole household? Whole house? Whole house. Fan? A whole house fan. W-H-O-L-E. A whole house fan. Whole yes. house. Like the whole thing. Okay. Right. Great. Well, God bless you. Thank you so much. All right, much. Marie. Good luck. Be safe. Bye-bye. Well, if you'd like to build a raised garden wall to highlight your landscaping, probably the easiest way to do that is with retaining wall blocks. Now they're modular and they're going to allow you to simply stack them to create that retaining wall really easily. You can highlight a tree, create a raised garden bed, or even build out a larger wall to help you level a sloping yard. Yeah, there are really just about four steps to the project. First off, you got to prepare the site. So you want to mark the ground. You can do that, say, with spray paint. There's actually special spray paint that's really inexpensive. You see it used to mark off streets, but you can mark off sections of lawn with it as well to create a trench that's about a foot wide. So mark it out. Now, in terms of the depth, when you start to dig out, start with the border. And if the stone's going to be, say, three or four courses 
tall, then you're going to want to go maybe a couple inches, three, four inches below grade in terms of the depth. Now, next, you've got to prepare the base. So for a small wall, you want to put about an inch of sand, level it out. If it's a larger one, you can use a paver mix and then use a two by four to kind of grade it out and make it nice and flat and then check that with the level. All the work is in the getting ready. The fun part is last, you just lay the stones. You start the lowest point, level each one, and then stagger the joints. If you need to cut the stones, you can use a mini sledgehammer a chisel, score that line first, and keep hammering until it breaks. And by the way, buy extra stones because you'll inevitably mess some up. I know I do all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And you know what? This kind of project used to be a lot harder, but these retaining wall blocks certainly are easy to work with and they've got a natural looking split face design and it can really look great in any yard. Now they're designed to be modular and they come in six sizes. So they're going to work well for straight or curved walls. If you've got an outdoor living project you want to take on, give us a call right now with your home improvement question at 1-888-MONEYPIT. All right, Josh in Nevada posted, I'm going to paint the wood floor on my screen and porch. Do you have a recommendation for what type of finish I should use? Also, how many coats of paint should I apply? It has no paint on it now, just old wood that I can sand if needed. Yes, I do, Josh. In fact, it's very important that in that situation, when you are painting a floor outside or inside, that you do not use a latex paint. And here's why. While latex paints have amazing qualities for just about any other surface, if you have a surface that's going to take a lot of abrasion, a lot of punishment, a lot of sliding of furniture around or footsteps, it just doesn't stand up the way a solvent-based or oil-based product would. Now, I would recommend in this case, since it's never been painted before, that first you give it a very good cleaning and a very good sanding. Now, you can do that by hand. You can do it with a sander, uh, but you want to make sure that you're not leaving any loose wood behind because since it's not had paint on it, I'm concerned that the upper sort of surface, the fibers of the wood would have broken down from UV exposure. And you want to make sure that you get rid of those. You have a nice, clean, dry surface when you're done. Next, you're going to want to prime it. And again, you want to use an oil-based primer for that. And then I would put probably two coats of a top coat floor floor finish on that. Again, oil-based. And if you do that right, I think you're going to find that that floor paint job will last you a good 10 to 15 years. All right. That's a good project too. Next up, we've got a post from Jesse who writes, what is the better way to check a Freon leak, a dye test or an electronic device? I've had about five pounds of Freon leak over the last nine months. My home warranty plan refuses to send out another company to check for the leak using the dye test. They say, wait 60 days and see if the leak can be found. What do you suggest? Yeah, because in 60 days, the summer will be over. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Man, you know, this is like, this is a sort of poking the bear with me on a couple of really sore issues. First off, you You are not the best person to be searching for a refrigerant leak, which, by the way, may or may not be Freon, depending on the age of your air conditioning compressor. Rather than check for actual leakage, I would check for performance. This is something that you can do, Jesse. And here's how. You should be measuring the temperature of the air inside the house at two locations. When the air conditioning is on, of course, measure the temperature of the air at the return duct and then measure it again at a supply duct and choose one that's near 
the air handler. So it's nice, strong flow. We're looking for the difference in temperature between those two points. It should be in the 12 to 20 degree range. If the differential is less than that, you are well within your right to demand a repair because your air conditioning is not cooling properly. And in fact, it's running excessively, which is driving up your electrical costs and not doing the job. So I would check that. Next, as far as that warranty company's refusal to address the problem, it's unfortunately very typical, and I can only suggest you be very, very persistent with them and always ask to discuss the matter with a supervisor. So good luck with that project. You know, they sell you these warranties, but they really don't want to pay out under them, and you really sometimes have to be persistent to get what you deserve. All right, Jesse, good luck with that, and I hope you have a nice, cool summer ahead of you. This is the Money Pit Home Improvement Show on a beautiful summer day. We hope it's lovely where you are. If you are in the home improvement zone, we live there 24-7, and we're standing by to help you with those questions about those projects. Reach out at any time at moneypit.com or call your question in to one eight 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 money pit If we're not in the studio, we will call you back the next time we are. But for now, that's all the time we have. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Remember, you can do it yourself. But you don't have to do it alone.